And welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And happy last day of 2018. I know a lot of programs in the news and on radio uh, and the newspapers, they all like to do those retrospective pieces uh, in, in these last few days of a year. They like to look back on the past year. Uh, I don't want to do that. I want to look forward to next year. Uh, for a couple of reasons why. First is, uh, this is a program on a Jewish radio network, and I, and I would assume that my <laughs> listeners are predominantly Jewish. We've already kind of done uh, our New Year's resolutions, our look back at the last year, positives and negatives uh, on Rosh Hashanah. I mean, if you're a Jewish person who is fairly observant, you kind of do this three times a year, right? You do this on Rosh Hashanah, you do it at the secular New Year, uh, like today and, and, and tonight, and then you do it maybe a little bit also at Passover, uh, especially if you're even a little bit more observant, because those of you who are a little bit more Jewishly educated know that Passover and the first of Nisan, the month where uh, Passover is, is, is also kind of like a new year, was a, a new year in earlier iterations of, of, of Jewish law. So you, you do it a lot. So what I want to do is look at next year and some of the things that I think will be major themes of the year that are, need to be resolved. Uh, they may not be resolved, but it would be great if they were. And really focus on some of the things that are important uh, that you just, again, I, I, what I like to bring to you on Novak now, as you know, if you've been listening even for a short while uh, since we've been doing this uh, since last spring, is you know that I like to give you an angle on the news, an analysis on the news that you're just not hearing anywhere else. And honestly, I wish it were harder. <laughs> there, there is just so much of television news and newspaper news that is devoid of anything that you couldn't hear everywhere else. There's just so little unique content right now. Uh, I've been talking about this with people on both the left and the right lately, and for those who are at least mostly rational, and there are a lot of people on the left and the right who are not rational right now, and that's always actually been the case, but I think it's been a little bit exacerbated uh, in the last couple of years. But for those of us who are rational, we're not getting too crazy uh, one way or the other on the left or the right, I, I'm, I've had 100% agreement when I've talked to them and I've said, you know, there's just no discussion of what would make America better, uh, of what would make Israel better, what would make the world better. There's, just no, there's no discussion of it. There's just fighting points. There's just talking points. There's a lot of he said, she said stuff. I mean, the next time you open up a newspaper or watch a television news program, you'll probably notice that about 60 to 70% of it is, well, he said this or she said that, and now let's argue about it. Um, which, of course, does nothing. <laughs> does nothing at all. Um, it, it, it accomplishes nothing. It uh, doesn't really inform you. I think that when public figures make a statement, um, it's perf- perfectly fine to report on it. But since we all now have our Twitters and Facebooks, and by the way, my Twitter handle is at JakeJakeNY. Please follow it. I have plenty of regular updates every single day that I put on Twitter and on my Facebook page, which is just Jake Novak. Um, but, you know, look, peop- we can find out what the public figures are saying pretty much on our own. And if we haven't and if we've missed it, we really only need to be reminded of it for a second. And that's it. We don't need to have 15 hours of debate. I'll give you an example. M- many of you may remember a couple of weeks ago in the Oval Office, a little argument that President Trump, uh, soon to be Speaker of the House again, Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer had over border security. And I'm going to talk more about border security uh, later in the, in the half hour. But 
you know, they're having their little argument about it. Everyone watched it who was watching television news. Everyone took it live. So, I mean, I'm not saying everyone watched it in the entire country. I'm sure actually a relatively small percentage of the country was really following it closely. Um, but for those who were watching news at the moment, watched it, paid attention to it. It was live. It was real. We all saw it for ourselves. And then every news organization that was covering it then said, now let's analyze it for five hours. And my first reaction was, I, I don't need you to tell me what just happened. I watched it. <laughs> I watched it. So there was just a lot of, well, he said this and she said that. There was no, very little discussion on, well, what's the real issue at the border here? What's the best way to fix this? And I'm starting to see a lot more people, thankfully, unfortunately, they're not running the news business uh, or, or any newspaper or television news network. But I'm starting to see, hear more people talking about this, not only when I talk to them about it, but on their own. One of them, and this is someone that you should follow on Twitter if you're not following him already, uh, Scott Adams. Now, you might know the name Scott Adams from the comics page. He is the creator and writer of the Dilbert comic, which has really always been a really good comic, a smarter comic, but funny on many levels. And Scott Adams, it probably doesn't surprise you if you've been following that comic for a long time. Scott Adams is a very smart guy. Very brilliant guy. He's been through a lot in his, his life. Um, he had a almost completely paralyzing disease um, for a couple of years where he was really not able to get out and about. He is better now and does get out and about and does a lot of things. Um, and he has very active Twitter feed. It's just Scott Adams. Uh, Scott Adams, you can find it on, on Twitter. And he is starting to post a couple of things here and there that show that intelligent people with their wits about them who have not kind of lost their wits, who have not decided to become just combative politically on the right or the left, um, are starting to look at solutions. And earlier this week, he tweeted out something about how, well, why don't we let the engineers and the people who know about frontier defense tell us what the best way to protect the southern border, the U.S. southern border with Mexico is? And whoever comes up with a good, you know, with, if there's any consensus among some engineers, if one of the engineers comes up with a good idea, let's let them drive this discussion, at least for a little while, for crying out loud. Okay? So we really need that in the, in the coming year, uh, a, a lot more of that. Um, but again, I'll talk more about border in a second. I want to start, though, with the economy, because that's what's, economy and our money, because that's what's really, I think, been a major, major story going through 2018, and it has a lot of people on edge going into 2019. And that's true in both the United States and Israel, by the way. A lot of news on that front. And, you know, I think that what we've had in the last couple of months, ever since October in the United States, is a lot of nervousness about money and finances because of the stock market. The U.S. stock market is way down from its highs this summer. Um... We're down at one point this summer. We, and this is the market index that I, that I watch the most. It's the S&P 500. Why? Because it's 500 stocks. <laughs> you get a wider um, uh, basket of, of variables and you get a better picture. Uh, the Dow Industrials, which is the number everyone looks at first, is only 30 stocks. And granted, they are 30 stocks that represent a lot of the American economy very well. And I think the Dow should be watched. But the S&P 500, to me, is much more of a reliable gauge of how the stock market is doing. The stock market, not, not anything else, the stock market. And the S&P 500 was hit a high of 2,900. That was the number, 2,900 in just pretty much smack the middle of the summer. And now we're at the 20, between 2,400 and 2,500. So that's a significant drop. 
I mean, that's a significant drop there of, uh, of quite a bit. It's not a 20% drop, but it's a big drop. You know, you, go, you, you lose 500 points on the S&P 500 uh, when you were at 2,900. It's not, a, again, not a 20% drop. A 20, a 20% drop would be about 580 points. And at one point, it was down that much. But right now, we are between 24 and 2,500. It looks like we're going to have a little bit of a, a recovery through most of the last few days of the year. But that's a big drop. And so that has people very, very worried. If you are a stock investor, I'm going to say some things here that are a little bit obvious to you if you're a regular stock investor. But if you're not, if you're someone who just has a 401k or someone who is very passively investing, pretty much all of us who have jobs, full-time paid on-staff jobs or have had those jobs over our lifetimes, we kind of all are passive investors. Unless, even if you're someone who's like a public employee who has a pension, because the pensions have to be invested in the, public, in, in the markets. Um, so there's a couple things I just want to remind you of. First off, a stock market drop needn't necessarily be a panic unless you need that money now or relatively soon. So if you're someone who's going to retire in the next year or so, and you never switched over from stocks to something a little bit more or a lot more secure, like maybe <laughs> savings bonds or cash or those kinds of things, yeah, this is rough. It's rough to lose almost 20% of the value of something from its high in the middle of the year. And you need the money soon. So let this be a lesson to anyone. And I hope that no one is in this situation who's listening. So let that be a lesson to those of you who are thinking about retiring in five or four years. Start moving that money over. If you have a financial advisor, I'm sure they've told you this. There are people who are a million times smarter than I am about financial planning and the timing of it all. But one general rule is as you're about to retire, even when the market seems to be going sometimes gangbusters, you know, you just can't take the chance on something as volatile as that. You've got to start putting the money in places where the, the value won't change all that much one way or the other because you need that money now. Now, if you are not retiring the next five years or, or ten years, you shouldn't necessarily be panicking about the stock market. Again, unless you need that money for something else. If you're thinking about tapping into a retirement fund, though, you've got other problems that you probably need to address. A lot of people lose a job or they have a major drop in income and they feel they have no choice but to go to tap into a retirement fund. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes that is. It's a rare occasion, but sometimes you might have to do that. And if that's the case, that's rough. But, of course, your bigger problem is trying to find a way to recoup that lost income. Put the emphasis on trying to get that higher-paying job again and take as little out as you possibly can, especially when the market's losing like this and you're basically selling low. You don't want to buy high and sell low. So that's one thing. I just wanted to make that clear to folks. I know it's not easy. A huge problem we have in the business of the news media, whether it's just a radio network like this or a big-time news organization, is there's just such a lack of empathy for a wider swath of people. You know, the news media finds people it wants to feel sorry for, and then it gets very excited about them and only them for a long time. So whether it's illegal immigrants trying to cross the border, who absolutely deserve some empathy, especially if they're not otherwise making any kind of criminal uh, activity. But it, to get all the empathy in, the, in, in a situation is rough. Uh, Jamal Khashoggi, who I was not a journalist, and I've talked about him on the program before. I don't think he was a murderer or a killer. Desert, he and his family deserved the empathy for sure for, what, you know, for, for his death. But all the empathy in the world, was he really have his hands completely clean? Is he worth more empathy than, for example, an American who's been held in Iran for almost 12 years or that kind of thing? So my point is that, of course, we, we really put empathy, it seems like we can only afford some, some empathy for one subject at a time, and it's too bad. So I want to have empathy for the people who have lost some money 
in the markets now um, without going too overboard and reminding everyone that there has to be better planning, but not in a cold, oh, I don't care about you kind of way. So, so that's one point I want to make. The second point I want to make, and this is very, very important, and this is something that American kids start learning the wrong way early on when they start learning about history, and unfortunately, it seems to carry over into adulthood for a lot of us. And that is, folks, the stock market does not equal the economy. I got a little note here on my notepad, on the Jake Novak notepad. It's stocks, and it has that equal sign with the line through it, is not equal to the economy. The stock market does not necessarily mean the economy is doing one thing or another. When the market is booming, usually the economy has to be doing somewhat well, but it's not always the case. Not always the case. And when the stock market is not doing well, like it has not really generally been doing well since October and has been very bumpy this year, it doesn't mean the economy has been bumpy or has been up and down, because it hasn't. Not in the United States it hasn't. The U.S. economy is still growing very, very strongly. And I am among the people who believe it will continue to grow strongly next year. And that has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> it just has nothing to do with politics. Not only does my opinion have nothing to do with politics there, uh, neither does really anything that's going to happen with the economy. Not much. Not much. There are our political winds that always affect the economy. But I think the economy in this country is going to continue to grow because what you have is a tremendous hiring boom that's coming a lot from small business. And these are small businesses. Some of them will fail and some of them won't. But I don't think the small business on a wide scale will fail in the coming year. And there are other factors going into the economy next year. You've heard me talk about this. The qualified opportunity zones, which are a way for the government to extend tax-free breaks that they give to companies that move into blighted, blighted areas. They've always, or in most cases, have been given tax breaks for years. But with the qualified opportunity zone funds... People like you and I can invest our capital gains from something else into one of those companies, real estate company, a manufacturer, um, maybe even just a, a, a chain store that moves into a blighted area. We can invest in that and take advantage of that investment. If it makes money, we'll make money tax-free, and the money that we put into it will be not taxed, when it would usually be taxed at a pretty high rate. So I think that's going to be a very big boost to the economy next year. Um, the continuing boost of the economy that we've had for the last two years, which is, don't laugh, unlimited data plans on cell phones. You think I'm kidding, but the fact that Sprint and some other companies moved to unlimited data plans that were very inexpensive, in fact, less expensive than some of the limited data plans that a lot of people had, has been a very big push for small business in this country. Small and medium-sized businesses now have had the ability now to keep their sales forces out in the field longer because of these unlimited data plans. They've been, um, they've been able to spend a lot less on hardware, computer hardware in the office. Um, I thought this was sort of a joke when somebody who was in a medium to small business told me about this uh, about eight months ago. And then I looked into it, and it's sure enough. 2017, which I know is the previous year, but 2017 had a very big boost in hiring and small business uh, profits because of this, and I think it's continued through 2018, and it will continue into 2019. It's starting to make business, because not only does it help the existing businesses save money, but it is a very big boost to companies that are trying to get started. Think about it. If you've got four or five people you want to create who want to create a small business, you know, they don't have to go through all the hoops of, of a computer system in their office necessarily. They can really rely on these lower-cost plans from a company like Sprint. There are other companies, too, so I don't mean, mean to make this just an advertisement from Sprint for Sprint, and it isn't. But, that, but that's another point that I want to make. 
So I just I see the I see the economy being stronger. And one of the things, again, we, we get taught at a young age when you start learning about the Great Depression, whether it's in grade school or junior high or high school, and everyone talks about that flashpoint of the Great Depression being the stock market crash of 1929. And yes, that was a very big moment that made the Great Depression what it was. But what they rarely teach you in the schools because they don't quite understand it and they really don't really talk about it in popular culture is the fact that the American economy especially in the non-urban areas of America in 1929, had already crashed. The economic situation was dire in the farm belt well before, well before the stock market crashed. And that was actually the catalyst to what caused the stock market crash, because with rural part of America and farm America and the part of America that needed stuff hauled from one part of the country to the other really hurt the railroad industry. And the railroads collapsing and having their problems started a, a, a contagious problem on Wall Street. This is very, very um, boiled down and summarized here on my part. I'm not trying to say that it was all started just before the, 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 the stock market. But what people need to understand is that the American economy was in serious trouble and had crashed badly in most of the country before the stock market crash. So just to, that's just one example of how stocks do not equal the economy. Another example that might be a little bit more familiar to some of you listening was the 1987 stock market incident. There was a one-day crash on the stock market. It sort of carried over to the next day. Uh, it was in, in October of 1987. And that had a lot to do with program trading and all kinds of algorithms and the beginning of that type of trading in the market, which is now predominant in the market. Pretty much all market trading is done by computers trading with one another on algorithms that humans have programmed into them. But... In 1987, you had that crash, and you know the, the U.S. economy was fine. The U.S. economy still had another three years to run in, you know, you can call it the Reagan boom, whatever you want to call it, but that economic recovery that began at the end of 1983 and ran all the way until 1990-91 was still going pretty strong in 1987. There was a real estate um, pause in 1986 that hurt the economy for a certain point, but that was really only in the real estate market and in some parts of the real estate market, not all. But again, another example of how a crash in the market did not mean the economy was bad. And it wasn't in 1987. We were still growing and things were still going well. So my point is here that there is a difference between the stock economy and the, and the, and, and, and the, and the economy. There's a difference between the stock market and the economy and and there is a tremendous amount of our news organizations that cover the economy as if the stock market is the entire economy. There's a tremendous amount of the way we think in politics and the way po the political structure is set up. The Fed is mostly set up with the markets really a huge part of what they look at. And if they feel the markets are bubbling over too much, they will care about that more at the Fed than they'll care about the overall economy. Inflation is pretty much the number one thing that the Fed worries about. And I don't believe we have serious inflation in this country. Nobody does. I don't really know if we have even moderate inflation in this country. Again, I don't think anybody feels that way. But they also look at the markets. And I think they look at them too much. And I think the Fed makes mistakes based on that kind of thinking. They certainly did in, in the 1980s when they were lowering interest rates because they felt the market needed a goosing. And, you know, hey, look, that was great. And, and the interest rates were way too high in the early 80s, late 1970s. But... They seem to always be a little late to the game, and that's something you should always remember. But again, I think the, the U.S. economy is going to be continually, you know, continued strong in the coming year. Will the stock market 
have a big recovery? I, I don't know. I think the stock market is probably going to bump along somewhat as it did this year, maybe a little bit better if these, you know, the numbers might just be slightly negative or slightly positive. And the reason why I say that is I do not believe that the United States stock market has been able to acculture, acculturate itself or accent itself or change itself to an economy that's changing. We have an economy now that's really, really being boosted from the bottom up because of the tax laws, because of little things like I just said, the data plans. We have a situation where we have smaller companies that are really pushing a major part of this economic boom right now. And I think that's great for the economy because, again, that's where the hiring comes from. You've heard me say this before on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. Large companies, when you reach that Fortune 500 status, rarely, rarely, rarely do those companies add net jobs. In other words, they might move jobs from one place to another, but they don't usually add that many jobs. It's just, it's just the way the market works. It's just the way the economy works. And small businesses, by definition, especially when they're created, they're, the, they're, the, they're always the catalyst for job creation in this country. And I don't really think the markets know how to adjust to that. For one thing, you know, 99% of these small businesses are not listed on the stock market. They're not listed on the U.S. exchanges. So there can be no direct effect there. So those are things that I wanted to talk about that are, that, that, as far as the economy is concerned, because that's been a big story the last couple of weeks, understandably so. And I just want people to remember, again, unless you need that money now, do not cash out now. It, I, again, I have empathy for those who do, but remember to not get yourself into that situation. You get into such a situation where you're about to retire, things like that, start moving your money into safer places. And please, please, please talk to a real financial advisor about that. Don't just listen to me. But that is a general rule that you should listen to. I want to talk a little bit about the, the border situation as well, because that obviously has been a big, big story. We're in a government shutdown right now because of it. Uh, I don't want to, again, I, I want to take Scott Adams' advice. I want to listen to somebody. I want to finally hear from somebody who has built uh, these kinds of fences or walls or, or barriers before. Uh, some, I want to hear from the engineers about what they think is the best way to keep people from crossing illegally into the United States which is just if you have any human compassion at all, not what we want. We just don't want that. People are literally, we've had, we've had a couple of kids die because these border crossings are dangerous. We don't want a situation where people are encouraged to try this dangerous journey. We just don't. Do we want their situations in their home com- countries to be better? Yes, and we can discuss that at another time. But opening up the border or, or, or not bothering to protect the border and doing what we would call a de facto invitation to people to come to this country illegally is creates humanitarian disasters. It created one in 2013 when President Obama was in charge. It's created one now when President Trump is in charge. At least it, it's not as thankfully as severe as the one in 2013. And I really don't think it was President Obama's fault. Uh, his discussion of the DREAM Act at the time was misconstrued in Central American countries. But as much as I'd like to blame President Obama for that, uh, I think it was deliberately misinterpreted by some groups down there. Uh, I don't think President Obama handled it that great, and I don't think President Trump has handled everything that great either on the border situation. But honestly, this is just a this is an American problem that transcends who the pre- last couple of presidents have been. We have not done a very good job, really, since the Eisenhower administration. If you want to, if you want to be honest, at making it clear about how to get into this country, the right way to do it the fair way to do it, and why it's so dangerous to do it illegally. Just because people make it across, and they get make it across in the millions illegally, does not mean that crossing illegally is safe. Because a lot of the people who are in this country illegally actually came over 
from a legal and safe point of entry. They just overstay. In other words, they get a visa or they get some kind of permission to be in this country for a short amount of time and then they don't go back when they're supposed to go back. That is where our biggest source of illegal immigrants in this country now comes from, okay? But we, yes, we do have a lot of people crossing illegally and that has to stop and that has to be discouraged for humanitarian reasons. And if that doesn't fit into your political worldview, then ask yourself why your political worldview is not a humanitarian one. And you might think it is. You might think, oh, getting people out of a poor country and getting them into a better country where they have a better chance, that's humanitarianism. Well, in theory that is, but there's also degrees of being humanitarian. If your chance to do better economically is life-threatening and you could go back or stay in your own country or go to a legal point of entry and, and, and do that there and still survive and live... You know, I mean, do I need to use the term pekuach nefesh? You know, where you're, you're allowed to break the Shabbat, and you're, if you're allowed to break Shabbat to save your life, then you're certainly allowed not to cross a border illegally to save your life. I mean, for crying out loud. Let's think about it that way, if we have to. If I have to get it down to the base levels here. But, you know, we can't get it down to the base levels because we're dealing with political nonsense right now that, that really has gotten, I think, to a point where it's, Really, really bad in this country. I'm not, that's not news to any of you listening. I understand that. But I want to give you an example. You know, we had an illegal immigrant who killed a legal immigrant this week, this past week, in California. A sheriff's deputy uh, in the Northern California area near San Francisco pulls over a, a, a car. The man in the car shoots and kills him. And it turns out the man in the car was an illegal immigrant who had a couple of drunk driving arrests had California been enforcing the same rules of cooperating with the feds and letting people know that someone is here illegally, he might have been deported uh, some time ago, and this killing wouldn't have happened. And this is a story, sadly, that we've heard a couple of times over the last few years, similar stories. But what really was rough to take this week was that you had a bunch of politicians in California and leading Democratic politicians across the country who still, as of this day, as of Monday, have not acknowledged this incident. Now remember, this was a California citizen, a legal immigrant from Fiji, an upstanding guy, a new four-month baby at home. I mean, just a tragic, tragic story. And a member of law enforcement. And the, senator, the two Democrat senators from California, Kamala Harris and Dianne Feinstein, have not mentioned or acknowledged this, because it's not expedient politically. I happen to believe very strongly that the Democratic National Committee has either officially or unofficially or quietly or secretly told all leading Democrats not to mention this story because they are trying to fight President Trump during the shutdown over illegal immigration and they don't want this story out there. It's getting out there, of course. They can't stop the story from being reported, but it's not being heavily reported on the left-wing friendly news or n networks, which is almost all of them. Fox is reporting it to some degree. It's been in, on the Internet and other sources. But they're not even mentioning it. They are mentioning the two illegal immigrant children who, who died in, in U.S. custody. And again, I don't believe that was the United States' fault. But that Kamala Harris and Dianne Feinstein have talked about a lot. But we've reached a point now where even the death of uh, their own citizen and someone who was working in, in public service in, in, in the police department can't even be mentioned. Can't even be mentioned. And that, unfortunately, is something that I think is going to come to a head in 2019. Something's got to give on that one, folks. Either that's going to continue and there will be no resistance to it or the resistance to it will finally stop this nonsense and we're going to start 
putting our politicians on both parties more into account. I hope that happens. This has been Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'll speak to you again next week.